kind of catchy. All right, hey, uh, good morning, Messiah Lutheran Church. Uh, welcome to another round of the giving experiment. We uh, kicked off this uh, message series a couple of weeks ago, and if you were here or maybe watching from home, you might recall that I mentioned in my previous life, my former life, I was a middle school science teacher. And uh, in my opinion, one of the best parts uh, about teaching and learning science is experimenting. And here's how it works. It all begins with a question. And then you make an educated guess as to answer that question. And then finally, you put your hypothesis to the test. You experiment. For example, here is a question for you. Is a dog's mouth cleaner than a human's mouth? You've heard that one before, right? Is a dog's mouth cleaner than a human's mouth? Well, what do you think? I want you to hypothesize with me. I'm looking for a show of hands here. How many think that a dog's mouth, yes, is cleaner than a human mouth? Anybody? Anybody out there at all? There's, all right, there's a few. Yeah, I mean, that's what, uh, you know, that's what they say. Okay, how many say, uh, no way, no way, a dog's mouth is way germier than a human mouth can't be? How many? Okay, a few more. How many are not playing at all? <laughs> Great. All right, thank you. Um, uh, well, I, I'll tell you what, you know, <laughs> I really don't care because I actually ran the experiment at home. I did it myself. I, I did this uh, about a month ago. I ran the experiment with my dogs. That is a picture of the test subjects there. That's uh, Harry on the left and uh, Spike on the right and the human in the middle is me. But here's what I did. I borrowed a few Petri dishes from our school and I, you know, got the long swabs and I swabbed the mouths and then I uh, set the samples aside and waited about a week. Here are the results according to my scientific research. <laughs> a dog's mouth is not cleaner than a pastor's mouth. <laughs> not even close, which is good news <laughs> for us. I bring it up as way of introduction because I, I have a little confession uh, to make this morning, and here it is. I'm not much of a dog person. I know, I know. Please don't think bad of me. I know. Hear me now. I don't hate dogs. I don't. I just don't obsess over them the way that most of you do. You know, I, I tolerate dogs, right? and I have my reasons for feeling this way. Uh, Mary and I have had at least one dog with us for uh, over 33 years of our marriage, including two English bulldogs and a golden retriever, and presently, a couple of mutts. And, and so I speak from experience, and here's my experience. They shed, <laughs> and they're loud, and they smell bad, and they shed. And dogs are expensive, and they limit your freedom, and their breath stinks, and they shed. And what's more, they're users. They only want you for survival. The love that people swear they receive from their dogs is simply the dog being good so they can get food out of you. Furthermore, they go to the bathroom, but not in the bathroom. And not to mention, they shed. And so that's really just why I'm just not that much of a dog person. I am a dog tolerator. And so you might be asking yourself, okay, Shley, why then do you have not just one dog, but two dogs shedding up your house? Uh, that's a good question. But in fact, I don't have just two dogs. I actually have three dogs. What can I say? Missouri's growing on me. <laughs> Whoa, tough crowd. 
<laughs> trying to fit in, you know, okay. <laughs> Actually, it's because my wife's grown on me. Uh, here's what I gave Mary for Valentine's Day this year. Uh, meet Franklin. Yeah, Franklin came straight from the Humane Society and right into our hearts. Actually, her heart, our home. You know, he looks cute. He's got the bow tie on, very proper and all that. Uh, he's nothing but trouble. And yet, this was my gift. It's my idea. I thought of it. I made the arrangements. It's all secret, and you know, and, and I'm going to be paying for this gift for a long, long time. Uh, lots of puddles and vet bills and cleanups, and Frankie likes to wake me up two hours before I like to wake up. And on and on and on and on and on. But I love my wife, and she loves dogs. And so here's my big point of the day. Costly love equals costly sacrifice. It's true. You parents know this. Uh, you get it. When you have children, man, you really got your hands full. Uh, now, as an aside, uh, I in no way mean to discourage you, Pastor Jim. Uh, that's not my intention here. In fact, I wrote this message before you and April shared the big news, you know, so you just got to know that up front. It's not, not a, but I'll tell you, as a father of five, I speak from experience. Here's my experience. Kids ain't cheap. And when you bring one home, they're so needy. <laughs> and they're so dependent upon you, which means you're going to have to give up your life for the next 20 years or so, at least. You're going to drive them all over town when you'd rather be at home. And you're going to read books to them so they develop their minds. All the while, you lose yours. I am Sam. Sam, I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. I'm sorry, but that's boring. <laughs> Lots of books will be boring to you. And you have to listen to your children and listen and listen and listen. And then there's the feeding and the bathing and dressing and the teaching and the disciplining, which is never a fun time, but you got to do it. Furthermore, children need five, at least five, if not 25, positive affirmations for every one criticism you give them. They need to hear from you. It's exhausting. It's costly. It's love. It's sacrificial. Costly love equals costly sacrifice. Tim Keller writes, unless you sacrifice much of your freedom and a whole bunch of your time, your children will not grow up healthy and ready to live life to the full. And sadly, there are plenty of parents who just won't do that. They won't disrupt their lives all that much. They won't sacrifice, and the kids will suffer for it. They'll grow up physically, but probably not emotionally, and they'll never really become what they could have been. Keller continues, someone in the relationship must sacrifice. You can make the sacrifice, or they're going to make the sacrifice. It's them or you. Either you suffer temporarily and in a redemptive way, or they're going to suffer tragically in a wasteful and destructive way. It's at least partly up to you. All real, life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. Sacrifice is at the heart of real love, and costly love equals costly sacrifice. All four of the gospel writers bear witness to this truth. 
It's the account of the woman anointing Jesus. Now, if you read John's version, uh, he tells us that this was Mary, as in the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Now, the accounts of Matthew and Mark are similar to John's in that this event takes place the week before Jesus' crucifixion. But Luke's narrative is a little different from the others in that he tells about a different woman. It can be confusing. It's a different woman anointing Jesus at a different time. This one takes place early on in his ministry. This morning, we're going to look at Luke's gospel. He writes, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, which must have been quite a freak out. He said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You judge correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman, but said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. And here's the punchline. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. This is God's word, and it is such a beautiful story. It needs to be told and retold again and again and again, costly love equals costly sacrifice. That's what's going on in this story. It's love calls forth love. This woman gets it. Her worship and her sacrificial gift ranks as uh, one of the most beautiful and most meaningful in, in the whole Bible. She's so bold with her love. Oh, she risks it all. She comes in uninvited to a Pharisee's house? It is a gutsy, gutsy move because she is known as a sinner or a former sinner. That's code for prostitute. She's 
She's a former prostitute, and she takes her most precious possession, an alabaster jar of expensive perfume, and she gives it all away. And some would say, what a waste. But she knew what she was doing. She breaks the jar, probably at the neck, and she empties it out on Jesus. I read that the jar itself is probably made of semi-transparent gemstones, possibly a family heirloom, perhaps even her dowry. It's her identity. It's who she is. It's her financial security. It's all wrapped up in this jar. Because perfume was so rare, so expensive. But once you know Jesus and understand all he's done for you, you know, the stuff doesn't carry the weight it used to. And so she pours it out, everything, her tears, the perfume, all of it, all that she has, all that she is, and she gives it to her Savior because she knows sacrifice is at the heart of all real love and costly love equals costly sacrifice. This woman got it. Oh, she's dear and she knew, she knew that she was forgiven much. And she was in the presence of much, of the divine love and grace and mercy. And she wasn't paying for it. She was responding to it. She loved because she was loved first. Her love was in response to his great love. She knew, and you know Jesus too. You know Jesus even better than she knew at the time of this story because you know about the cross and you know about the empty tomb. You know about the costly sacrifice. Why is Jesus hanging on that cross? He is pouring his life out for you and for me. We've been forgiven much. Costly love equals costly sacrifice. We know, as Paul writes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. But you know, we live in a time, we live in a, a place, a community, where, where not everybody gets it. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't get the gospel, and they don't get Jesus. They don't know all that he's done for them. They don't know his love, like, up close and personal. You know, a lot of people say, I... I just not a Jesus person. I'm more of a Jesus tolerator. Our church is desperately trying to change that. We want them to know his love 
And we've been sent by Jesus to make him known in St. Charles and even beyond. The Messiah Lutheran Church exists. And the reason we exist is to connect people to Jesus. And so we say, we'll do whatever it takes to connect people to Jesus. We'll do whatever it takes. What does that mean? What does it take? Well, it takes the Holy Spirit, and that is the understatement of the day. And it takes God's word, and it takes prayer. And it takes a church that's crazy enough to give up its own preferences so that others feel welcome and others can hear the good news. It takes saved people serving people. It takes found people finding people and loving people. It means taking some risks. It means sacrificial giving. That's what it takes. You see, there's a cost. There's a cost. Costly love equals costly sacrifice. Sacrificial giving is the stuff of God because he spares nothing, even his whole life, in fact. And so it is in response to his great love that we love too. We sacrifice. And, and I know we, we all make sacrifices. We might sacrifice for our spouse, uh, certainly for our children, maybe even for our dog. Um, which is great. But what about first things first? Have you ever sacrificed in response to God's love for you? Have you ever sacrificed? And not, not just given from your extras or your leftovers so that it doesn't affect you really. I'm talking about sacrifice in response to God's love for other people who don't know him yet. Have you ever gone without something so that somebody else could get Jesus? It's a good question. Tough question. Have you ever sacrificed for the mission of Jesus Christ? The tithes and the offerings that you bring or give electronically help to get that message out through words and, and through care and through helping people who need some help. Why? Here's why. It's because of the mission. Our Savior wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus' costly love is for all people. His costly sacrifice is for everyone. Jesus offers himself to all, the prostitutes and Pharisees, the tax collectors and fishermen, street people and superstars, dog lovers and dog tolerators alike. 
students and salesmen and sinners, one and all. He loves them, died for them, rose again for them, forgives them, and you. And you. Jesus died for you. Jesus forgives you much. He's made you a Jesus person. And he invites you into his mission. And our response is just simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's love and thanksgiving. It's sacrificial. That's what the woman with the alabaster jar was doing. Her sacrifice was just an expression of love and thank you and faith. And we have our opportunity too. We, we've been calling it the giving experiment. And if, if it's something you've just never risked doing before, this is your chance. There's no better time to give it a go, you experiment for three months and you, you make this a first things first, a spiritual priority, and then you just see what happens. You test God out in this just like he says. But let me say this, if you do so begrudgingly or if you're thinking the church is up to something, boy, that's a sneaky move. Or if you do so out of guilt, like, oh, fine. You know what? We say this all the time, keep it. Keep it. Don't give that gift. Nobody likes getting a gift that way. Certainly not God. It's better for you to keep it. We also want to stress that if you conduct the tithing experiment and you get into it and it ain't working, you know, Ends just aren't meeting. And you need that money back. And here's what we're saying, no problem at all. No questions asked, no guilt trip, no lecture, none of that stuff, nothing attached. It's like, you know what, this ain't working out. You see, this is supposed to be an experiment. You try it. It's, get this, it's intended to bless your life. Not to hurt you. That's not our goal. <laughs> it's, uh, it's to bless you. And so um, I also want to let you know about Jubilee Sunday. That's next week, as Pastor Jim mentioned. It's, it, this one is one of my favorite Sundays of the whole year because we're just invited to come with our, our financial pledges kind of a thing, our commitments uh, for the upcoming year. And then we also do like an over-the-top over kind of offering, and uh, we give it to the Lord. And really, it's a joyful time. It's, it's really, really encouraging, I'll tell you. I just, I just love it. I love seeing our people come up. It's a time we come forward, and there's a little table. We literally, you know, put the money on the table. And it says something. And here is what it says. It says, Jesus, you come first. It is a beautiful thing when sinners like you 
and like me who know about salvation and about the cross and all that Jesus has done for us. And we just come with a humble heart, with a trusting heart, and with a joyful response just to say thank you. So Jesus, people, I hope you can see it for what it really is. It is a, just a most beautiful way in which we break the jar. And we offer Jesus our past, our present, and our future. Nothing. It's the last line here. Nothing. Nothing. We ever give to Jesus is ever wasted. especially when it comes to worshiping and honoring him. In his name, amen. All right.